0: be a fun song so get up, dance, stomp, clap, whatever you want to do. It is welcome here. Pretty crazy. There's just been a lot of uncertainty. And I know for me personally, you know, I'm a to control things. Um, I went through these last couple of months a job change and a, um, we moved twice, and um, that's definitely not what I had planned for. It was very hard, and um, you know, it's not what I would have picked, but it's what God wanted, and um, it all ended up being actually a better situation for us. And I just think like He will really never let us down. You know, we might walk through storms and face um, uncertainty. It might not always be um, our choice, but God always has our backs, and He knows what's best for us. So we're gonna sing about that today. Let the king
1: of our heart be the mountains where I ride.
0: When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said.
2: Sometimes I just put random things in your seat and they don't tie in, but this really will. So stay with me, um, we'll get there. I promise it'll tie into what I'm talking about. Have you ever been punched? Yes. You know, that's the question you expect to be asked in church today, right? I've will the last if I've ever been punched. I've been punched. Um, what was your natural response? Cry. Cry, okay, yeah. Um I was a very fat kid in school, chubby kid. I think we have a picture of me. He yeah, was like, don't you just want to punch that face? <laughs> 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 kids in school wanted to punch that face. <laughs> my mom wanted to hug and kiss that face, but kids in school wanted to punch me. Um in the 90s called me a fat kid and called me a husky kid. Husky kid. Yeah. Anybody got yeah. fishing up in the husky section? Yes. Yes. And if mom was coming in the store she's like, none of these pants fit my son. You got husky clothes. <laughs> and you just hang your head in shame like yes. I'm a fat kid, you know? We knew that husky was a euphemism for fat. uh, But they were trying to protect our feelings, and they just made us more sensitive, you know, ever. But as a chubby kid, I was picked on, and kids hit me. They'd be like, hit the fat kid, you know? And my response was always the same. Use my superior weight to crush them. They would hit me, (laughs) and I would sit on them, and I would just crush them. I'd be like, you skinny little punk, you're gonna get crushed. And that's what I did. I mean, I would sit on them, and I would punish them with my weight for hitting them. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus outlines what it looks like to live and love like he did. This is his densest section of teachings about this is what it means to be my disciple and apprentice of my way of life. Um, His response to violence is very different than mine. And that's what we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek, too. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them, too. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anyone else? Do you not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Mm. Now, do you understand why I gave you an eye patch? Like. Jesus an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This is what our common practice is. If we're going to return violence for violence, we're all going to need bypasses. Mm-hmm. If we're going to give as good as we get, we're all going to need bypasses. So Jesus kicked off his Sermon on the Mount when we started a few weeks ago now by listing the surprising paths to the blessed life. Everybody wants to live their best life, the blessed life. But it doesn't come down the path that we would expect. We expect the best life to be down the path of wealth and health and power and praise. But Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount, verses 3 through 11, by saying that your blessed life often comes through unexpected avenues. Our best life, as he continues that thought here, doesn't come from overcoming your enemies. The best life, the blessed life, comes from loving your enemies. Now, I think that saying Jesus is God is relatively easy. Like, I believe that Jesus is God. That's not going to immediately affect your everyday life. But I think if you say, I believe Jesus is king, and that to enjoy the benefits of his kingdom, I have to submit to his teachings, I have to live and love like he did, I think that's going to be a lot harder. Because if I say I believe that he lived the greatest human life, That I'm going to want to model his life even when it takes unexpected turns or when he asks things of me that are completely contrary to everything that I want to do. When someone hits me, I want to crush them with my weight, and Jesus says, no, I want you to love them instead. And I have to ask myself, do I really think Jesus knows what he's talking about? It's easy to say he's God, but if I'm going to say he's my king and my master, my example about how I should live in love, then I have to love my enemies like he does. Now, I think that these are some of Jesus' most difficult teachings to swallow. And therefore, I think they're some of the most important. I think that the harder it is for me to embrace some of his teachings, the more radical it's going to produce change in my life when I do. I think the call to allow evil to assault us, but not allow it to infect us, is a unique mark of the student of Jesus. It's a unique mark about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus the Christ. Now, this command he has two commands here in this passage, and both of them come from the Old Testament as everything he's outlined so far in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament, and then he gets to the heart of the issue behind the command. And this is no different. In the Old Testament, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but this was not about some type of vindictive justice instead this was a mercy in a time of lawlessness so old testament there was no united nations he claims fair you know there were no laws about how to behave and so when god is helping structure israel this special people who are going to be a special platform for his special person the messiah to come into the world and restore the relationship god and man he says hey if you're out in a field and someone swings back a home and they're not paying attention and it takes your eye you don't murder them in retribution they should pay for the cost of your eye if you're a craftsman a tradesman you can't do your work anymore because they blinded you you should get the equivalent of your eye it was the first justice system but jesus reveals that the heart of the command was not to encourage reciprocal violence but to actually discourage violent responses altogether. And when Jesus here talks about loving your enemies and praying for your enemies and going the second mile, this is not him theorizing in a classroom. And he's like, you know, just, if you just happen to have enemies, you know, this is some good ideas. They were living in an enemy-controlled state. The Roman Empire 70 years earlier had conquered Palestine. They were living under foreign rule. Oppressors marched up and down the streets. Imagine yourself living in France under Nazi occupation. That's how the Israelites in Jesus' day were living. He uses real-world, first-century Palestine examples of Roman oppression. This isn't some far-out theory. It's a real-world, practical application of this Jesus. Now, the Roman authorities could walk up to you on the street as a Jewish person and say, you're a conquered people, and they could slap you. They could make fun of you. They could belittle you, they could throw you in the street. You can do anything or they'd kill you. They could jack up your taxes with widely accepted illegal charges, charges so high it would take the coat off your back. Some historians say that in some places the tax collectors illegally raised the taxes so high it was as much as 90% of your income. Now, taxes are high, I feel like now. Pennsylvania taxes are high, right? City taxes are high. Can you imagine 90% of your income going to an oppressive government that spit on you and threw you down and treated you like garbage? And Jesus says, pray for them. Dream them. Love them. Roman soldiers could walk up to any person in an occupied territory and demand that they carry their gear and equipment and their soldiers pack for one mile. It was Roman law. If the soldiers were out on control and they're like, you're sick carry this thing, they could say, hey, you, carry my bag, one mouth. And by Roman law, you had to, or they killed you in the streets where you stood. They could knock down your front door and say, hey, you, carry my bag, one mouth. You could be in the middle of prayer, in the middle of a meal, in the middle of playing with your children, and you had to go into it. And there was a powder keg of anger towards the Roman government. These were brutal practices that led to the rise of the zealots, religious, passionate people who said, we need to wage a holy war of terrorism against the Roman Empire. They saw the Romans and their occupation of the land that God gave them as satanic agents, and they saw their response must be violent quick, they would sneak up on Roman patrols in narrow passes or in back alleys, and they would murder them and leave them for dead. And Jesus suggests something radically different. He asks his students to see enemies as people with needs to be met, not as with lives to be destroyed. And this is one of the reasons that I think Jesus is so compelling. I talked to a co-worker this week. She's like, I don't even know if Jesus was a real person. I said, even if he wasn't a real person, let's say he just was a fictional person, I have never seen a person or a character more compelling in fiction or in reality than Jesus because he says things like this. What he teaches is so radical. And this is why I think that if everyone lived and loved like Jesus, the world would look dramatically different. It would change the world. If we could teach everyone to live and love like Jesus, we wouldn't need eye patches if everyone lived out the teachings of Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, Jesus isn't saying be a doormat. That's how sometimes I've heard the passage. Invented, like, somebody's just beating up you, just lay there and take it. Just embrace it. You know, be passive in everything and just let people walk all over you. Be a doormat. I don't think he's saying that. I think what he is saying is that when enemies attack and adversaries persecute us, we respond with an act of radical love. It's not that we're passive and we're just like, I'm getting beat up. This is just how it is. Instead, we say, I want to give as good as I'm getting. Instead, I am going to give good despite what I'm getting. To be like Jesus means responding to evil with unprecedented good. In Romans 12, 21, the Apostle Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, evil doesn't win until we respond with I think responding to evil or violence is not a passive act. Responding to evil or violence with love is actually the ultimate act of defiance. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we ignore people's bad behavior, that we're just like, evil have no consequences, like, just let them do whatever, you know, they're going to do this stuff, so we might as well let them do more. He isn't letting them off the hook. Loving your enemies doesn't mean excusing your their behavior, it means you don't mimic their aggressive and destructive behavior. Instead, you choose to model for them another way to live life. Now, love your neighbor was an Old Testament command. But the religious people in Jesus' day added on to that because they are like, love your neighbor. okay? But what we really want to say is love your neighbor and hate your enemies. So up to this point, Jesus has been quoting Old Testament scriptures. You'll not find anywhere in the Old Testament where it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It will say, love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, one of Jesus' important teachings that he quotes from the Old Testament. But it never says, and hate your enemy. They added that in Jesus' day. They were like, you know how it is. Love the people next to you, the people like you, the people who are of your same tribe, but hate everybody else, you know? And Jesus said, no. Jesus says, love shouldn't be limited to the people who look like us, the people who vote like us, the people who believe like us. Love is forever. Do you have enemies? You know, um, I can't um, I can't prepare a message like this without thinking about some of my enemies. You're like, oh, do you know have enemies? Yeah. I have some people who've hurt me deeply or hurt people that I love deeply. I have people who have opposed me. I mean, I've had other religious leaders Who have said terrible things about me or have tried to discourage me defeat me who have even tried to prevent this church play because they didn't like something about me i mean darby and i used to live below sides of the nova students who really liked to party hard you know um, every weekend and uh, they would come during the week they would come home at all hours of the night and stomp upstairs you know and throw things around and yell loudly and wake us up I mean, there were many Saturday nights where 11 o'clock at night I'm beating on their door saying, hey, I've got to preach in the morning, and they're mocking me and making fun of me. Um, so I've had some enemies, you know? It's not like this is just a theory. And I'm sure you have some enemies. You've had some people who have been against you, have opposed you, who have made your life way more difficult and hard than it should be. Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who make our lives now, I'm like, oh good. I can pray for them. God, please get them fired. You know, like, please let them fail their classes. Please make them hurt like they hurt me. Give them all the trouble they've given me times ten. That's not the type of prayers that, in context that I think Jesus is talking about. He's talking about praying for their good. Not what they gave you, but what God has given you. Good when we deserve evil. So how do we love someone we hate? Because I don't know about you, I just don't think about these people, there's, there's names right now coming into my head. to think, oh man, what a delight they are. They're just such a joy in my soul. <clears throat> Thinking about their faces and their names right now makes me angry. So it has to be something that we do. It can't just be an emotional response. How do we love someone we want to hate? How do we love someone who
1: hates us?
2: C.S. Lewis said, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor or your enemy. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find that one of the great secrets, when you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. The word for love here is agape, which is God-like love. It's an action love, not an emotion love. In our culture, we use love in a variety of ways. Like, I love Star Wars. I also love my wife, Darby. That's not the same type of love. <laughs> That's it, right? Star Wars is up here. No, no, I didn't <laughs> You yeah, excuse me, I was going over Love your enemies even if it's in your own house. Um, we use love in a variety of different ways, and we often use it as an emotion that we feel. But in the Bible, many, many times, love is an action for the good of someone else regardless of how we feel. In the ways of America, emotion almost always informs our actions. I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like this food, I don't feel like this. And so we don't do it, right? Our feelings drive us. But in the ways of Jesus, emotion always follows obedience. We do the right thing, and then the right emotion follows that. We begin to pray for the good of our enemies. We begin to speak well about them. We don't excuse the bad things that we do, but we find good things to say about them. We give them something. We try to find some way to serve them. Jesus said that people far away from God, people who hate God, people who are really kind of terrible people, they love people who look like them, or people who are kind to them, or people who are with them. I remember a few years ago when I watched the, the Jack Ryan TV show on Amazon, and it was about, the first season was about some terrorists, and the terrorists loved his kids, and the terrorists loved his brothers, and the terrorists loved his fellow terrorists. And I thought, he loves people who are like him and think like him, and you, you know, are from the same culture and ideology of him, there's real love there, but he hates the people who are not like him, and I thought, how often does the church love like that terrorist
1: mm-hmm.
2: instead of loving like Jesus, where we love our animals, mm-hmm. but God loves people opposed to himself, and you might be listening right now, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're sitting here, and you're like, uh, I don't believe in God. I hate God. I talk to some people sometimes, and they're like, if there's God, I'm pretty sure I hate him. And the good news is, God loves people opposed to himself. So even if you don't believe in him, even if you don't like him, he loves you. He believes in you, even if you don't believe in him. I find that encouraging. I find that inspiring. People who are becoming like Jesus, God in human form, love people who hate them. They love people who make their lives They love people who persecute them. It's not what they feel towards their enemies. It's how they choose to behave because they believe what their teacher said. That the best life, the blessed life, comes not from overcoming our enemies, not from making sure that our enemies get what they deserve, but from loving them. The love of Jesus transformed my life because while I was still an enemy with him, he died for me. And now, as a student, I'm beginning to see how good he is, and I believe that the love for my enemies will transform them, just like Jesus's love for me transformed me. Now, this passage ends with a really strange command. Did any of you catch it when we read through here? It ends with, "Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Did anybody hear that when we read through, and you're like, "Dang, it's like..." What in the world? How am I supposed to be perfect? Like, you know, here's a little challenge for you this week. You know, be perfect like God's perfect. You know, that won't be be a far reach, right? We're close. No, like if you're like me, you're like, I'm really far from perfect. Like, I've made some slow progress over 10 years, but it's still really far from perfect. Now, the English translation here doesn't really help us get to the root of what's being said. Um, it's pretty lofty to think of perfect and what we think of as perfect. Like, you got a paperback in school, it said 100%, you did perfect, you got all the answers right. That's not the idea here. The Greek word in the original text is teleos, which comes from the root, uh, the root word telos. If you're a philosophy major, you might know telos. Um, I think the best way to explain telos is, of course, Pokemon. <laughs>
1: um, you know that old
2: theological teacher Pokemon? In Pokemon, a monster evolves, I think we have a picture here. A monster evolves into a more powerful form. A Charmander becomes a Charmeleon, Charmeleon becomes Charizard, and then you have Mega Charizard, and Gigantamax Charizard. He's now the highest form of Charizard. Okay, Let's stick with me, this is Telos. We start over here, but there's this highest possible form of being. This highest possible form of being This would be telos. This would be the telos of a charming (laughs) The telos of a human is to love your enemies. That's what he's saying. He says the highest form of being, the type of being that God is, is that he loves his enemies. If you want to know what the highest, most complete, most mature form of existence or being is, it is loving your enemies. The telos, the end point of human advancement, is to love your enemies. To serve those who make you suffer. To choose to do good to those that everything inside you says, I need to give back to them everything that I've got. I think a great example of this was Dr. Martin Luther King. In 1957, on Christmas Day, he gave a speech. This is what he said. Why should we love our enemies? The first reason is fairly obvious, he said. Returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already deployed of stars. Darkness cannot drive out. Darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out. Hate, only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. Our natural human response to violence and evil is more violence and evil. But Jesus offers another way. He invites us to throw away our patches and love our enemies. And I think if we did that, it'll change a Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming into our world, for offering your Holy Spirit to empower us to live your life. Thank you for dying and being resurrected to open the way for us to follow in your footsteps and to be your students, your disciples, apprentices of your way of life. Thank you for a community that we don't have to do it alone, that we can learn from each other. God, we want to love our enemies because we believe this is the highest form of existence or being. To love people who don't look like us, don't vote like us, don't sound like us, don't believe like us. People who want to hurt us, or oppose us. God, help us to turn the other cheek. And instead of thinking, wow, that hurts, think, how is this person hurting? May we walk in.
1: worthy Thank you
0: And slash contact, and you donate ten dollars to Horizon, not Horizon, to the uh, Compassion <laughs> International, uh, in your an honor. And it just helps kids in third world countries escape poverty, it helps with education, that sort of thing. If you would like to help support the work that Horizon is doing in the community and around the world, you can do so by giving online at horizonfilling.comslashgive. We have a bucket by the front door, or we have Venmo and um, instead of our normal prayer call, we've been a meeting here at Wednesdays at 6 p.m., and just getting together, praying around the area for the area um, and around the, the neighborhood, just taking a prayer walk, um, whether we're not. Our book club, Alex is going to be texting everyone the link for the book club this week, so if you want to read through was Jesus? what if Jesus was serious with us, let us know before you leave here. Make sure we have your information um, and' we'll We believe the church exists to equip people to live and love like Jesus um, and just become students of the way that he was. Um, so I'm really excited about this book, too, because I think it's going to really uh, help us learn some practical things about how to change the world by living like Jesus. You are just
1: missed. Have a great week.